all, and welcome to the Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate, and let's dig in. Hello, it has been a minute, to say the very least. Uh, I am super excited to be back with you today, and I'm going to be sharing kind of a out-of-the-box conversation for at least what we normally would do on the Podluck, kind of a end-of-summer special here. Uh, as I'm recording, we're you know, very fast approaching the the end of summer, uh, the beginning of school. Maybe you're listening and you are already kind of back into the swing of normal life and out of uh, summer mode. But this is the end of summer special. If you have spent any amount of time on the internet this summer, then you will have likely seen some conglomeration of memes about either the Barbie movie or Oppenheimer uh, or the most interesting conglomeration of things, uh, Barbenheimer. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I had a conversation with my good friend John of the Cinema Faith podcast uh, a couple weeks ago after we both did the full Barbenheimer experience, uh, watched both movies back to back. And I loved Barbie so much, which probably comes as a shock to nobody. And I wanted to talk to John about it and talk to John a little bit about the two movies in conjunction with each other, uh, which we get into a little bit. But also John does a deep dive on Oppenheimer on his podcast, Cinema Faith, which he, you know, will give you information on how to find uh, as we are talking in the episode. But I wanted to share this conversation with you. I think it's super fun. Uh, John and I had a great time talking about it. And so I'm sharing that with you today. And then we'll be back in just a couple of weeks, uh, not next week, but the week after with a regular season uh, kicking back off here on the Podlock. Uh, More details to come about the topics for that and things of that nature. But today, just sharing with you this conversation I had with my friend John of Cinema Faith. So let's get into it. All right, so we are here today on this very special edition of the Podluck. Um, I'm here with my good friend John Butrin of the Cinema Faith Podcast. Um, John is a trained screenwriter and an armchair theologian, and I am a trained theologian and an armchair screen, not screenwriter, armchair movie person, which even feels generous because this is the first time I'd been to the movie since uh, 2020. So uh, I feel like that's generous to myself. But welcome, John. I'm glad to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. Huge fan of the pod. Huge fan of theology. Like you said, definitely an armchair theologian, but um, I love it. So thank you. So exciting. Yeah. So uh, this all came to be because earlier this summer, I was hanging out with John 
um, and asked if he was going to go see Barbie. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you weren't. You weren't I wasn't. To see Do you it. know, like, with all my expert movie knowledge, I didn't even know it was directed by Greta Gerwig. I don't know how I missed it, Megan, but you said that. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course I'm going to see it now. So, in Greta, we trust. Oh, who doesn't um. love Greta Gerwig? <laughs> Best movie of 2017, Lady Bird, huge fan. So, I love Greta Gerwig. Uh, my yeah. rule is I apparently only go to the movies if Greta Gerwig <laughs> is involved because the last movie I saw in the theaters was Her Little Women. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and then I went back out to see Barbie. But we're not just talking about Barbie. We're talking about the Barbenheimer experience. Yes. yes. Uh, we are not going to deep dive into Oppenheimer. Um, we'll touch on it briefly. Uh, but if you want a deep dive into Oppenheimer, uh, John will be deep diving into Oppenheimer on his podcast, Cinema Faith. And what I love about Cinema Faith is you all aren't like counting cuss words and being like, but there's boobs. Um. <laughs> no, definitely not. That's why I created the website. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, please do check it out. Um, cinemafate.com. We've got articles, reviews, and we have a podcast. Wherever you find this podcast, you can also find the Cinema Faith podcast. Just type in Cinema Faith and we'll talk about Oppenheimer for an hour. So if that, if you want the full Barbenheimer experience, you can do this and that and you've got it. So yeah. there you go. But both John and I watched both of these movies back to back in the theaters, uh, not together, but on our own. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to talk about the the meme that has taken over our theaters, what that was like, uh, aside from just really long. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, so, John, how was how was your Barbenheimer? You did it before I did. I did. Yeah, it was good. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, on the surface, these movies have nothing to do with each other. So, like, it's just, you know, we live in an age of irony, and I'm sure some guy in Idaho decided, you know what would be funny? These two movies come out on the exact same day. What if you just saw them back to back? And then they, you know, became memes and everybody. But, like, actually, when you sort of put them together, there are some similarities, some, some things worth talking about, or some contrasts, I think, even more so. And so... So, you know, it was a very interesting experience. Five hours of the theater. I love it. I, I'm i a huge fan. My record is three movies I was telling you earlier at the theater. I did three movies back to back. But for you, this is incredible. I can't believe you did this. It was, it was a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, like I said, I hadn't been to a theater at all since... I guess it would have been like January or February of 2020 whenever Little Women was out. And yeah. then it was, it was one of those things where like when everything was shut down for COVID... Um, you know, a lot of people, you were probably one of them, were like, but there's no movies. This is so sad. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I was like, I'll just, you know, watch the things on Netflix or whatever. And I'm, I'm really more of a TV show person than I'm a movie person anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the the irony is what got me. Like I saw on the Internet, like people are doing this Barbenheimer thing. And I I thought it was really funny. I thought it was a really clever idea. I already knew I was going to want to see Barbie. I I was not really that interested in Oppenheimer. That's what surprised me because you didn't seem interested in it at all. So when you said you saw it, I was like, wow, really? I was interested in the irony and I decided I was going to do it. And then I saw how long Oppenheimer was, which I feel like (laughs) if I had seen that beforehand, I don't know if I would have done it. Yeah. Like three hours is a long time to commit to like a meme. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. To an ironic meme. To an ironic meme. But I did it. I was pleasantly surprised with the complexity of of how they told that story. Mm -hmm. And and this is really all I'll say about Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Um, As somebody who is very pro-nuclear disarmament, Mm -hmm. I was really impressed that they didn't like lionize Oppenheimer. Um, and that they kind of t- 
talked about how it's been a complicated thing from the beginning, Mm -hmm. Um, that there were scientists who worked on this project that were not sure what they were doing or if it was the right thing. Not They knew what they were doing, but they weren't sure if it was the right thing to be doing. Um, And so I appreciated that complexity. Um, I do think if you are interested in seeing this movie, you should see it in the theater because sonically and visually, I do think it it. Does well. It also fails the Bechtel test, so maybe skip it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it was so surprising. Was that like when I went to go see both movies, I expected fully to like Barbie, but like love Oppenheimer. um, But I actually like Barbie more, which was very surprising to me because, yeah, I just had some problems with Oppenheimer, and you'll you'll hear it on our podcast. I won't spoil it, but uh, there's some issues I had, and so it. I do agree with you, though. It was a nice. nuanced portrayal of of him because like i like that they didn't just make it black and white like he's either for or against this it was very complicated and anytime you can take a character and make it uh nuance is good and so there was a lot to love in it but there's also a lot i did not like so anyway uh barbie yeah i just i I think it came out on top for me for the two yeah yeah so let's let's dive into barbie um so let's let's talk more about that and then i mean as we are talking we can talk about the the contrast and the um, ways that I think they, they do work with each other. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, like sweet and salty kind of yeah. together. Um, and so I guess just for listeners, if you haven't seen either of these movies and you are concerned about them getting spoiled, I mean, none of neither of them, I feel like are really <laughs> like there's a big twist at the end. Right. Um, but if you're concerned about them being spoiled, uh, we're not going to take any caution with that. No. So uh, stop now uh, and then go to the movies and then come back and listen. OK, so when you texted me and said you liked Barbie more. Yeah, I was I was shocked. Kind of like you were shocked that I was seeing Oppenheimer. <laughs> no. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about like, what did you love about Barbie? How did you go from like, I don't even know if I'm going to see this to like, oh, Greta, okay, I'm in, to like, this was the better of the two films. Yeah, it's hard because my son teased me for this because I went with him, he's 16, and we, we're we like, he loved Oppenheimer, he thought it was like a masterpiece, and so he was very disappointed that I didn't like it as much as him, and then he really mocked me when I said Barbie was better, and because on the surface, the two, you know, one is a little more silly and whatever, and the other is talking about, you know, the end of the world, so they don't seem like they go together, but I mean, you can't really do that with genres, like, you know, Toy Story is a masterpiece, right? But at the end of the day, it's about toys going to planet hollywood and trying to get back to andy all right so <laughs> it's not schindler's list but within its genre it works so that's what i would say about barbie is that i think within its own specific what it was trying to accomplish it tells a better focused more concise story that has a better impact than what oppenheimer was trying to do yeah. that's my opinion yeah. So, yeah i i agree i love that it just owned the the silliness of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like you could make a Barbie movie where it tries to like take Barbie very seriously. Oh, right. But I loved the the whole opening sequence where it's just like she like is drinking her like milk and like there's no liquid in the cup. She's taking a shower. There's no water coming out of it. Like, um, you know, and even the narrator saying like nobody ever walks Barbie down the stairs. She just floats down. And I, I just... I appreciated so much the commitment to like the campiness of it mm-hmm. all. Um, and I think that it it does make us as as viewers really take like this like campy comic genre mm-hmm. as 
as legitimate mm, for yeah. social commentary. Because I, I mean, I have long maintained, and I don't think it's a hot take, that like comedians are some of the sharpest observ- observers of culture. Yes. Um, but I think that this does it in such an incisive way mm-hmm. to be like, this is going to make you laugh. Like I laughed out loud and like sobbed multiple times mm-hmm. throughout the film. Like it was just, it was a range. And I'm really glad I did it after Oppenheimer because I wouldn't <laughs> have had the emotional stamina to do that afterwards. <laughs> I did the opposite. I did Barbie first. But I agree with you. I think it's really important. And that's why Barbie's made a billion and Oppenheimer's made 500 million is because it appeals to such a broad audience and it's funny and it's entertaining, but it also has a lot of really deep layers. It's not superficial and everything about it like has, you know, something going on underneath the surface. So I think it's really cool when you have a slick package like that, that also has something to say. So yeah, it's great. yeah. I yeah. would love to hear you talk about, cause like Watching the film as a woman, mm. like, you know, it opens and it's just like, and Barbie's like, and now we've fixed all the problems for women. And, it, you know, everybody's empowered now. And, like, there's just this, like, bitter laugh from the entire row oh, no, of women I was no. with. Um, I'm curious, like, navigating that film as as a man mm-hmm. where, you, you know, you're both seeing how women are treated, you know, in the reverse. Um, but then also, like navigating yeah just like the whole uh like feminism 101 that's Mm -hmm. coming at you in the most endearing fun package possible (laughs) well i should probably say that i'm coming at this very humbly because i am a man and we're talking about something that is centered around women and themes that don't directly apply to me so can you explain barbie to me (laughs) exactly i don't ever i hope (laughs) to god i don't ever come across as mansplaining in this thing I mean, let's we'll just let's start with Barbie Land, right? Yeah. So you have you have this place that actually on the surface seems kind of cool. Like I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but I was like, I kind of like this sort of plastic world where you have your little house and your convertible and you drive to the beach. I was like, I could get into this. I right? like Barbie Land. Yeah, <laughs> it feels Barbie... like there'd be less home maintenance. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Everything's provided for you. It's all right there every day. It's great. But then you peel back the layers, and there's a little more complex, right? Because on the one hand, when you compare Barbie Land to the real world like yeah it's nice that barbie land that all the women have prominent positions of leadership and wouldn't that be nice in our world if there were you know women in every stage of the workplace and the supreme court and all professions but then you peel back the layers of barbie land and it's not perfect either because you look at ken and the men and they uh don't have a big role to play in society and they're kind of i don't know mistreated a little bit you know uh, kind of shoved to the side i guess and so i guess it gets back to the fact that you know it's not what we're striving for isn't one gender ruling everything, even though I do think women would do a better job if they did rule everything. Let's just <laughs> say that up front. But, you know, feminism isn't misandry, as I guess the point. And I think that that's a common stereotype that, you know, and so I like that they presented this world that's kind of like, oh, this is the perfect situation, but then maybe it isn't also exactly perfect either. And so I like that. Yeah. The line that really got me was when, uh, when they asked, like, well, where do the kin sleep? And yeah. Barbie just goes... I don't know. <laughs> Probably on the beach. I don't, yeah, exactly. They and, don't have a place. Yeah. And that to me was like, I mean, I laughed and then I paused because I was like, I know what that feels like to be like so displaced, like mm. lacking so much access um, to power. Yeah. And and as a white woman, I mean, I, I have a fair amount of privilege in that even, right? Like I'm not as far removed from centers of power as I, as I even could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that like, oh, I don't know. And just the afterthoughtness of that. And then it made me really pause to be like, 
oh, like who else are we not even saying like, oh, we don't even know where they, like where do they even go? Mm -hmm. Um, And thinking about that in terms of both like gender or um, socioeconomics or like so many different like interlocking like power systems of the world, right? Like uh, this summer I've been, doing some delivery driving for a farm and delivering to all these restaurants, right? Mm. And like how many of us go to restaurants and then like you you don't think about where your server goes home to. Yes. Or uh what their uh what their home is like or are they going to another job because they're just mm. trying to make rent or like things like that. And so just that question of like oh, I don't know. I feel like kind of like stopped me in my tracks a little bit about like the the people that we interact with as accessories to life totally right because we all do that we (laughs) all have learned um to objectify other humans i think that to me was like such a a crystal clear through line for the whole film is just like throttling objectification yes yes um which i was not expecting in the barbie movie even with greta gerwig at the helm (laughs) um but we all learn to objectify people and to not refer to each other like to bring in the the theology like martin buber talks about like the i it relationship versus Mm. the i thou relationship right yes yes. and we we learn really really young to to relate to people as i it's right like i am the main character and your job is beach Mm. (laughs) right yeah totally (laughs) that's it yeah um and so to think about like oh like how many people am i saying like i don't even know where you sleep like Mm -hmm. oh i don't even I don't know. Like, this is Barbie's dream house, mm-hmm. not Ken's dream house. I don't know where you sleep. I don't care. Like, and especially to, with both of us growing up in white culture in power, oh my gosh, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it. When you when you stream when you live in that stream of power, then you miss so much. And and I'm just sitting here talking to you. I'm reminded of the fact that like I met you in a church that was in the city, mm-hmm. and I had never. I was so scared of the city. I grew up in suburbia, and so like yeah. Speaking of I it, like the city was terrifying. I would go to Summerfest, and I would stop <laughs> at a gas station, and like you know, got to get back in my car because someone's gonna hurt me and whatever and then I've lived in the city for the last you know I don't know 13 14 years because of meeting you and meeting Mm -hmm. and the church that we went to and so like yeah you just you learn how much you missed growing up when you actually take that different perspective and you're living in a different environment so yeah totally yeah 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 yeah. I think um I I really thought it was interesting too that she she did let the Kens get into power and yeah. then the whole patriarchy thing when it comes back. <laughs> oh, no, of like, course it does. Turns everything into patriarchy. Um, I kind of related to Ken, honestly, like, because, you know, Ken's, when we meet him, he spends so much, uh, all of his energy is outside in. It's about approval. It's yeah. about trying desperately to win Barbie's approval. And like, he doesn't have any secure center within himself, mm-hmm. you know? And I like, feel like I spent my whole life like that. I grew up in typical, you know, evangelical fundamentalism where everything was about, um, you know, saving souls and the whole world is divided between the saved and the unsaved. And that guy at Quick Trip is like, could be going to hell forever, Megan. <laughs> forever do you was there, you gonna want that in your conscious you're just gonna go to work with your coffee no you gotta talk to him you gotta do it and so like I spent my whole life with that pressure and just like even in relationships just feeling like it's all about you know if the if the other person is upset you know I've gotta fix it and all that stuff and so yeah it's just toxic it's toxic theology and not and and you have no center inside of yourself so I identify with Ken and I'm glad he found his way eventually but yeah it's, he's it's kin- tough. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> kin- <laughs> enough. yeah <laughs> No, but I think that like 
uh, that's but that's so instructive for for everybody right like i think we i mean yes barbie like is the center of that world Mm -hmm. but like i also like related to the whole like oh yeah like i'm just trying to like get approval or be seen or whatever and i think that that's that's a part of feminism that we don't always talk about like like patriarchy is bad for everybody. Oh yeah, and and you see that when when the when the kins get in charge and they're just like bleeding is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but but it's bad for everyone and everyone is self silencing and and being smaller and forgetting who they are. Like I loved I loved that all the Barbies like forgot who they were and they're like it's like a, yeah. bra- a vacation for your brain. I don't have to make any choices. Um, it sounds nice at first. Let's be honest. It does sound nice at first. <laughs> it's it oppressive. It does sound nice at first. <laughs> um, and then it's like, but that again, you know, going back to this, like, but we are like, what makes us human mm. is to be in relationship with one another. And if one person is completely in the driver's seat of that, then it's not relationship anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so to to kind of move into that space of being like self-possessed and you even see barbie go on that journey a little bit right mm-hmm. where she goes from the bomb voyage of like to get your feet fixed and to not get cellulite <laughs> yeah totally all this superficial um, stuff right right to like i love that at the end she's like i'm here to see the gynecologist right like yeah. just embracing the fullness of of just a real life i want to yeah. go back to the real world yeah i you know i want to grapple with the complexities mm-hmm. of that and not just be like Everything is perfect mm-hmm. and it's the best day ever. And tomorrow will be the best day ever. And the day after that, right? Like Barbie's arc in some way is similar. It's different. Um, but I mean, that's one of the things that that patriarchy does is it smashes us all down and, and forces us to look externally for that approval. Um, you know, men holding that, you know, like I'm I'm the leader and I'm in charge and I have the answers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, I'm strong. I don't cry. Like one of the things that I will never forget is reading back in seminary some data about like when children learn to self-silence their emotions. Oh, geez. Um, and girls learn usually around like age it's like nine to eleven not to express like vulnerability or to cry or, or things like that uh do you know how old boys are how old five. Oh, geez that's awful it's awful that's so young it's so young and that. it makes sense to me like growing up like we did in evangelicalism and like i was allowed to be more emotional because women are emotional mm-hmm. and my friends who were boys my brothers we're told very early, like, boys don't cry mm. or you have to be strong, mm. right? And, like, the idea that, like, we we make that a dichotomy for for little boys that we don't for girls mm-hmm. until later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that maybe even part of why, like, Barbie's jo- journey towards self-actualization was a little more nuanced and complex, whereas Ken was really just trying to figure out, like, I'm enough. Yeah. I'm enough. Because that, I mean, that's so primal. But I love how you said that patriarchy hurts everyone because that's true because I had a little bit of the opposite experience from being self-silenced because I grew up with my mom. And Mm -hmm. so it was just, it was a lot of feminine energy my whole life, right? And so I grew up a much more emotional man than most your typical, you dude, I cry at movies all the time. And I just like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm indecisive a little bit. I'm not, I'm not like your typical strong 
here's what we should do type of person, right? And that's wreaked havoc on past relationships and things like that because like there is an expectation yeah. uh, when in a world run by the patriarchy that men, you know, will just be able to jump into action and figure it out. And I've always been uncomfortable with that. And so I felt sort of like d- demeaned a little bit that like I can't be that kind of man that some people are looking for. So it does hurt everybody. Of course, women, but men as well. So yeah. 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 It's like if it's a toxic system, like it's just it's toxic for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if you if you pee in the pool, like everybody's not <laughs> swimming in pee. Yes. Like, you know, you can't just be like, well, it, it only affects the people, these people. It's like, eh, no, that goes that goes everywhere. And, you know, once I found out the patriarchy wasn't about horses, I really lost interest. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, I'm so curious, um, for your perspective, like we both grew up in evangelicalism. And so like, what was it like growing up as a woman with all those expectations about, you know, not making men stumble and beauty culture? Like, what was your perspective on all that? Yeah. Um, so I certainly had lots of experiences where I was, you know, told that I was making men stumble or that I needed to dress a particular way or I actually I was cleaning out something in the basement uh I think like over spring break this year or something and I found my journals from childhood which is like fascinating yeah that's a word for it fascinating (laughs) terrible awful awful I had it was like eight pages I had handwritten out of like guidelines for myself for like what I would or wouldn't wear. Mm. Um, and like oh, this was like you so know, oppressive. late yeah. 90s, early Y2K era. So it was like, you know, l- super, super low rise dr- jeans and like super cropped tops were like very, very in fashion, right? Like it was like the Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie like mm-hmm, era, mm-hmm. right? And so I had all of these like, you know, no bikinis, no halter tops, no that like your jeans have to have this amount of rise, like so many specifics. And nobody explicitly ever told me to be like that anal about it. I just, you know, took it on as an Enneagram one trying to be perfect to be like, I will do all this. And then also like, I knew it was bullshit the whole time. Like there was a part Did you? Was there a part me, in the back of your mind? There was a part of me in the back of my mind that like knew the whole time. And I think part of that was just because I was so bad at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not so much the clothes part. Like that was fine. Like I could like navigate that. But um, the whole like women are supposed to be like gentle and quiet and like mm-hmm. really good homemakers and things like that. Like I was just bad at it. Yeah. Um, I am not quiet. Uh, yeah, I would not say quiet defines you. No, no, sure, no, no. Sure. Like I'm not quiet. I'm not overwhelmingly like gentle. I've, I think I've gotten better about that. Is like I've gotten older of being a little bit more like nurturing or inviting. But like still, righteous indignation is like my favorite emotion. Yes. And so like let's lead with I'm a little mad. Yeah. Uh, but sounds we'll, like you were born to be a preacher, Maggie. Right, right. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, um. I, I just was so bad at it mm-hmm. and felt awful about myself a lot of the times growing up, but mm. also knew that like God didn't like make me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, well, I, but I also feel like this can't be wrong. So I felt very like conflicted for a long time. And then like once I got introduced to like different theology, like in college and and thereafter, I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. Got it. And it clicks into place. It clicks I love into that. place. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, so I was 
I was never supposed to just be gentle and quiet. And yep. not that there's anything wrong with people who are more mm. gentle and quiet in nature, but like we should be who we are. Yes. And not And we need all types. And right. we need all types of people. Like I need I need some gentle, quiet people. Mm-hmm. To remind me that not everybody is is ready to be like super intense all the time. And really, like I was texting a friend to tell them that I was doing the Barbenheimer and going by myself. And they were like, you've never even been to the movies alone. And I was like, nope. And they're like, that makes sense that you're going for five hours. <laughs> you didn't even share that you went by yourself. I can't believe hey, that. I thought alone. you would have gone with Ben or something. That's amazing. No, because I mean, I'm on summer break right uh, now. Yeah, and yeah. so I went in the middle of the day on the wow. on a Tuesday. Um the uh, the Oppenheimer Theater was pretty empty. So it was very relaxing in yeah, some ways. Yeah. Um, and then Barbie was sold out at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Look at that. Yep. I mean, geez. yep. Well, interesting. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, that's just so awful. Like, just the the your journal entry. I can't get over that. Just like literally the down to the types of clothes. And it's just like every day you're living in fear and yeah, like every step you take. You know, yeah. I can't relate to that, obviously, but like. As a man growing up in that culture, I definitely, it was all about, you know, I mean, when you get to be 15, your hormones are raging Mm -hmm. and you're just, you cannot stop thinking about sex. And it is so much worse when you live in a culture, uh, when you go, you know, to youth group and church and you're told every day that even the slightest sexual thought is evil, it's a sin. And so I felt like I lived my whole life in a war with myself, like every day, because all I wanted to do was, you know concentrate on what my body wanted to do and yet I knew it was wrong and so it was just a cycle of like of temptation sin repentance over and over and over and over again and I felt so dirty like all the time like I would just like feel like a monster because Mm -hmm. I was told that everything I thought about all the time was evil so I must be evil and so it was it was a really just awful existence it was very traumatic actually like I've done a lot of unraveling of that in the last few years of just the the sexual trauma of that like I just but anyway yeah Yeah. it is is not great and it's so interesting feels like too kind of a word but i don't know what other word to use that you know the the other thing that the system tells you right is that like god and god's glory is like the most important thing for you to seek and like um you know that that's paramount right like Mm -hmm. um what is it the the Westminster Catechism says? Like the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy yeah. Him forever. Uh, Sounds like Piper. Gonna say, well, that that's pre-Piper, but oh, okay, like, okay. um, you know, the male pronouns are are original to that. <laughs> trying to yeah. quote it in earnest, um, and at the same time, the system is handing everybody something completely different to focus on all hmm. the time, right? Like, if I am constantly concerned about like. What am I wearing? And is my shirt like two finger lengths beneath my collarbone? Or is it more than that? And how am I standing up? And how am I bending over? And how am I like moving? Like I'm not thinking about my neighbor or how to love the people around me or how that does or does not contribute to uh, what God is doing in the world. And if you're constantly thinking about Oh my gosh, that girl's hot. <laughs> yeah. Which is just what 15-year-olds do. <laughs> yeah, for real. Then then you're not thinking about that either. Yeah. And and I think if we move into a space of again, how do I honor this beloved person in front of me? Right? Then there then there are going to be certain ways that I do or don't conduct myself. Mm-hmm. Um there are going to be certain ways that I 
we'll find that's like, well, it's okay to think about this person this way. And wow, that's kind of exploitative to think about that person in that way. But if we start with, right, it's the starting point of like each person is a beloved human being, you know, creation of God. Uh, and they're and they are kenuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, I, right. We don't need to throw the baby out of the bathwater, right? Like maybe you shouldn't just walk down the street naked because like it's probably not wise. Maybe it's been really hot recently. <laughs> I know, though, I know so you maybe. want to. I get it. I get it. Maybe I shouldn't think about sex all day. But the point is that like. I think that there, so yes, there's a place for limits and stuff, but when it's all, when that's your whole focus, I actually think it gives it more power. Like, I feel like I wouldn't have even, like, I would have thought about it the normal amount had I been told that it was fine, but I ended up thinking about it all the time because I was in that constant war. Same with your clothes, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's. Like anytime you put a restriction on something, right? Uh, You know, if we are thinking about like people who have eating disorders and things like that, right? Anytime you're putting this emphasis, right? So many times like going on a diet, sometimes that a, di- a diet that a doctor even prescribes mm. becomes the origin of, of somebody's eating disorder, right? There like anytime yep. you're fixating on this thing, then you're giving it so much more power. At least you're running the risk of it holding yeah. that much power yeah. instead of just saying like, we're all human and being a human is messy and being a human is beautiful and Mm -hmm. there's all these aspects of being a human and go try to not be a shitty one (laughs) Uh, well said thank you mic drop i think yeah even as a culture in america i wonder if we if we have just this unique prudishness that makes sex so much more you know like such a thing here you know i know that like in evangelicalism for sure i don't know why we're so obsessed with sex over anything but like i mean it is true i mean you talked about uh, not counting swear words but at the end of the day like the biggest thing objectionable content in movies growing up was always sex like oh you can watch violence and you know the worst things ever but if there's that one little bit of a sex scene we're not going to that movie you know and i just think that's so oppressive but like i do wonder because i have no other countries aren't as like you know close-minded when it comes to sexuality and nudity right i was in england once and i was watching tv and it was the regular channel four or whatever there was like a woman topless and i was like wow you could never get away with that on nbc but there's a part of me that wonders if like if we just treated this as normal like that's a female body maybe we wouldn't be so crazy about it here yeah. i don't know i mean i don't I, know yeah i think that certainly like having a large number of the people who colonized the 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 land that we all now occupy um i think that having a lot of those people be puritans yes. definitely influenced the way that <laughs> <Maybe> our, <laughs> a little bit <laughs> um but then also i mean i think that there's just you can look at so many different structural things throughout our history where it, particularly female bodies have been demonized or misunderstood or i mean even in medicine like we originally like studied the female body as like a broken man's body oh, wow. <laughs> um or you know like the father of modern gynecology did all of these un um certainly not consensual but then also like not um anesthetized like no anesthesia surgeries on enslaved black women oh, and God, that's that's, awful. that's how we ended up with the field of gynecology as we understand it today and so like you don't get to have like roots of those ways of orienting two bodies mm. and then like be like 
it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. we'll think about bodies fine. Yep. Um, you know, I think you have to kind of go back and interrogate and look at and uh, not to be the theologian, but to repent, um, yes. to look at like, how do we repair the ways in which we've learned to orient to one another? Because you're right. It's And it's not just evangelicals. I mean, it's, there's how many people in completely secular environments, like if somebody is assaulted or harassed, will immediately ask like, well, what were you wearing or what were you doing? Or uh, why were you there? Or, you know, you shouldn't be in this place at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there's a difference between like saying like, this is the world we live in and how do we do that prudently? But also at the same time say, and that's messed up. Yes. Um, yes. I don't want to live in a world where I have to ask that question. I understand they do. Um, and so I will, you know, park accordingly when I'm out <laughs> after dark and things like that. Um, but I also want to be asking the questions. And I think that's one of the things that Barbie calls us toward of asking like, okay, and mm-hmm. what if it wasn't that? Yes. What if it wasn't that? Because this is actually serving nobody. Yeah, and I and I don't mean to pick on evangelicalism. You're right because I feel like you know. I mean, I like to because uh, <laughs> you know I grew up in that world. But but there are problems embedded in secular culture that you know. And I think the movie even touches on this a little bit because there's that one scene where it says you know if you basically I forget exactly how it's worded, but if you want to make this point, maybe you shouldn't cast Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie yes, in your movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. When Margot Robbie is talking about how like she doesn't feel beautiful anymore, she's not enough, and then the narrator is like. A note to the filmmakers, Mm -hmm. Margot Robbie is not the person to cast if you want to make this point. So once again, you know, Hollywood's trying to have its cake and eat its too, because like the big problem is that we grew up watching these very impossible beauty standards from both sides, from women and men. And I grew up, you know, uh, being embedded, a lot of it unconsciously, of what a hot woman looks like, which is very like disgustingly thin and, you know, tall and yeah just like you know the super thin tall woman that's hot but like that is so offensive and awful and so and as men men too like i look at ryan gosling and i'm like i do not look like that and when i was <laughs> 15 i definitely didn't look like that and and it's very was very like humiliating looking in the mirror after going to a movie where that's the standard and it's sort of like you just it's weird because we know that that maybe isn't normal but when we're constantly watching these things we think oh normal people look thin and beautiful all the time, forgetting the fact that they're rich and powerful and they have literally someone doing their hair every day and their wardrobe and their personal fitness people. It's so unrealistic. So there's a lot wrong with culture and Hollywood. And I think that like we need to share the blame. It's not just evangelicals. No, for sure. For sure. And I think that I loved that the way that they like undid the brainwashing for the brainwashed Barbies during the patriarchy part was like, to talk about like like to just like tell the truth right Mm -hmm. to talk about this like completely asinine like double standard or like you know bifurcated logic that exists within patriarchy that that drives those kinds of things right and like the antidote was like right it didn't happen to barbie because she had been to the real world and so she'd been like inoculated and then Mm. you have america ferrera's character who is just so brilliant and so well done and i I don't really know how awards shows work. Um, I imagine she probably will not win anything for that because 
It's Hollywood a very popular movie. Issue. We'll see. I, I hope I, she yeah. wins everything. I think the Oscars and stuff, they're all, I think there's been a huge push in the last few years of trying to be more appealing because they understand that they're a very niche group and that no one likes them. And so they've really been trying <laughs> to be like, let's take this really popular movie that everyone's seen and really throw some awards at it so people can be like, oh, Hollywood is pretty, is for me too. So anyway, yeah. I think it's possible is what it, I'm saying. Okay. I well, I'm so. glad to hear it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the popularity, I just thought that her character was brilliant. Yes. Um, and so to kind of listen to her, like yeah. name those, you know, those truths and name the duplicity um, mm-hmm. was so powerful. And again, I think this, like it, it just served the like campiness of the film so well to like, you can't make a lot of like really serious movies that are that direct yes. with what the issues are. Yes. And I loved when they would kind of break out of this, like, bubble gummy like saccharine like oh we're in weird barbie's house now hey weird barbie and then you would have somebody just like dropping feminist theory Mm. like verbatim yeah and you can't do that if you're making like a a quote-unquote like serious movie Mm -hmm. um I yeah. loved her speech. It was great. It was, it was totally so good. Was. So good. It just anytime someone's able to admit with humility that like, hey, none of us have any idea what we're doing yeah. and we're being pulled in a million different directions every day and it's really, really hard. Yeah. Oh, I'm here for that because yeah. like I just feel like every day we're supposed to just, you know, chin up and like you know, we have it all figured out. And so anytime someone can just drop humble humble speeches like that i just it's a it's a relief it really is because it's like i'm not alone in feeling like i don't know what i'm doing a lot of the time yeah and yeah yeah no it's so good yeah so good but yeah there's a lot wrong uh with our society i even think like there's some things that are like socially acceptable that are like weird to me and you can feel free to edit this out if you don't want to go here but like okay. i'm still like i think it's strange that it's perfectly acceptable in total liberal you know progressive circles to say a guy who like you know is kind of a jerk like probably has a small penis right mm-hmm. like i think that's really strange that you're that we, you know greta thunberg for instance love greta who doesn't yeah. love greta yeah. but she had that whole twitter small dick energy thing yeah. and like i don't understand why we would focus on something that is completely a man can't control the size of his penis he's born sure. with it yeah. so like why why would that have anything to do with how he acts in the world and so but that's just like a perfectly acceptable thing so i don't know them we would it's just strange to me there's some things like that i would yeah. love for us to just get away from associating like toughness or like gusto with any sort of body parts yeah. my, like my own little disruption for for that you know when people are just like oh that guy's got balls i'm like uh, well, balls right. are like very sensitive and like you need to protect them and so like would actually be more appropriate if we were like man he's got such a vulva because mm-hmm. those things take a beating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and you know so that's my own little like disruption is when like people it. like say things like that i'll be like well actually uh maybe we could talk about how tough uteruses are because they're actually yes. pretty tough um but then people are like that's weird i'm like well but what you said was what was you so said weird. is weird let's start a new weird because that makes more sense right yeah. right like what if we just like make commentary on how people are like conducting themselves that yeah. doesn't have to do with their reproductive organs (laughs) yes yes and even the way that we react to problems cancel culture i think has some very toxic elements in it and that's the way we've kind of been reacting to men who are being offensive against women and objectifying them and doing awful things right like i don't know what the clear-cut answer is but i also know that like there's that tension of like you and i are both christ followers and so there's times where we have to stand in that tension of like 
is it right to take this person who did something awful and completely nullify them as a human being? Like they, their work means nothing. Everything they ever did means nothing. And they are not allowed to exist in this world anymore. They're basically dead to the entire world. Is that a Christ principle? I don't think so. But I also don't know what the other solution is. And I also know it's problematic. It's very problematic to watch Woody Allen movies knowing what Woody Allen has oh, done. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm not saying that like, oh, we should just, that, that it's not a, that, it's not a conundrum. It is. But it's also important that as Christ followers, we are willing to critique culture and not just go along with what we're supposed to believe as good liberal people. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think two things with cancel culture. One is like, what is the nature of that person's work? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think, like you said, like watching Woody Allen, mov- Woody Allen movies, uh, it feels really conflictual. Like, okay, cool. And like, he's an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think you can like, put context around that or you can just say you know what there's lots of people who entertain and we're just not going to do this anymore yeah uh i think that there's other things where it's like no i I feel like we may need to move away from that like in the theological world um john howard yoder Mm. very prominent Mm. theologian who a lot of his work centers around or centered around uh like reconciliation and peacemaking also systemically raped women it's terrible. I don't think you get to be a quote unquote like peace theologian while you commit so many acts of violence, like while you're writing your theology and then continue to have that theology utilized. Such a good point. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, if we think about like the 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 tree and the fruit, right? Like mm-hmm. to use like biblical imagery, right? Of like, you know, a good tree bears good fruit. Like mm-hmm. if your fruit is rotten, yeah. then like there's probably something rotten in your tree too right and so i think uh you know the context of that matters like what did a person do and in what context i think the other thing is we are trying to figure out how to do accountability Mm -hmm. and we suck at it yeah Uh, (laughs) in the church and in secular society right right we have this like our imaginations are so captured by this idea of punishment Mm -hmm. again both in the church and in secular society um that we can't conceive of like what actually repairs or what actually restores or what actually invites us onto a a new pathway and so you know then you have this like huge outcry and like cancellation or or whatever um it doesn't actually yield anything that is beneficial like i think about somebody like louis ck right Mm -hmm. who got quote unquote canceled yeah and is touring again. It's like nothing happened. It's appalling to me, honestly. But, right. And yeah. so it's just like, I, I don't think that. It's not working. It's not working. That's it's, it. it's not working. And so then you have the, the pain, the very legitimate pain of victims mm-hmm. um, and survivors. That doesn't actually like go anywhere. Yeah. And you have the very real shitty behavior of people who it's like all they may have learned is like next time I need to hide it better. Mm, um, yes. And and that's not that's not it. It's not it. But I think for us to move into a different space where there is like actual like accountability or there is restoration or there is some form of justice that's not just like you did a bad thing and so we're all going to tell you we hate you. Yeah. Um, you know, again, if we think about like how do people actually change their minds? How do people actually change their behaviors? How do people actually change their actions? It's not when we make people feel like they're shit. Yeah. 
It's just not. Like, both of us know that. We lived that story. Like, we grew up being like, okay, you're a terrible, filthy brag, and uh, you need to be really repentant. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) It can be effective in the short term. In the short term, yes. does it have long-term consequences? It it can be effective in the short term, and that's so much of, especially, like, internet culture. Mm -hmm. It's all short term. Mm -hmm. It's all short term. And, like, let's be really mad at this person because they were terrible. And, like, we need to both be able to say what that person did was terrible. It's unacceptable. And we need to have recourse to say, how do we actually invite them to make it right? And maybe they will take it up. Maybe they won't. Right. And this is, you know, this kind of plays back to when we were talking about uh, hell, when we were hanging out earlier this summer, right. You know, the people like, are there some people who would choose to not ever be redeemed Mm -hmm. when presented the opportunity to like, this is what it would look like to make that right but you can't force somebody to make a choice. Um, and I think... And you and I had this discussion the other day. I know, that's what I was saying. Like, we had this conversation. <laughs> it's fantastic. Megan and I uh, slightly disagree. Well, no, <laughs> Megan is a, is a ho- uh, has a hopeful position of what I firmly believe is is the solution. But yeah. but no, exactly that. Like, I th- do think there are some things that aren't going to be repaired in this life. And we have to be yeah. humble enough to know that. We should try. We should really try. But at the same time, I, you hope and I believe that there will be a ultimate reality where, you know, some sort of purgatory state or whatever, where people will have to look in the mirror and there will truly be some reconciliation in all of this brokenness. Like everybody who has ever wronged anyone will in some sort of divine instrumental thing uh, have to face what they've done with that person, walk with them and really see it. And both sides will come to a healing understanding because I want to believe in a, in a world where at the end of all of that, whatever that looks like uh, we all are seated at the table, but to get there uh, there's a lot of healing that has to be done. And you believe that is possible. And and you know what? Maybe this is true that it's possible that there are some people that just, are irredeemable, that no matter how much you present that option, they will always, even to God's face, just say, nope, I'm good. And maybe that's true. Thinking that maybe there might be some kins who don't want to give up their mojo dojo casa houses. There you you go. (laughs) And you may be right. I'm just, I'm really hoping. Because I'm a firm believer in happy endings, you know? I mean, like, I'm a movie guy. So I think, like, that's the ultimate happy ending to me is everybody who's ever lived transformed and healed and at the table. I will see. I I think it's good. I think it's good. And I I have... I have my doubts. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, John, uh, do you want to pl- plug your pluggables one more time? Where, yeah. where else should people go if they want to hear you talk about the inferior summer blockbuster? That's right. Uh, although I did see a headline, which, my gosh, if this doesn't perfectly illustrate what Barbie was trying to prove, is like, well, Oppenheimer has made half of a billion dollars, which is just as good. Yes. As- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, no, you can please check out cinemafate.com. That is where you can find our written articles and reviews and also our podcast. But you can go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this now, and you can also search for Cinema Faith and get it. And yeah, if you want to listen to an hour on Oppenheimer and then do this, um, you'll have the full experience. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you so much, Megan, yeah. by the way, for having me on your show. I'm so what glad. an honor. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm so glad that you joined me both in sitting in the theater for a really long time. Long time. <laughs> and, uh, and for this discussion. It's good. Yeah. It's good. And uh, to all the regular Podluck listeners, uh, we'll be back um, in September with a regular season. Uh, so it's this is not going to turn into a movie podcast. Don't Aww. worry. I don't have the uh, the chops to keep up with that. And Greta Gerwig doesn't have anything else coming out for That's a little great. while. So. <laughs> Bummer.